Or would you use a different word other than peace? Is, is peace the first word that would come to your mind when, when you think of that? Peace on earth, it seems like a fantasy. However, did you know that there was peace? There was shalom on the earth at one point of, t- of time in history? In fact, if we look at a timeline, starting from the beginning of, of the creation of man up to the Christmas, uh, the Christmas story, we start there, we're going to see that there was a sense of peace right at the beginning. In Genesis 3, right in the Garden of Eden, there was a sense of peace and shalom. That God, in fact, God created the earth with shalom. He created the earth with peace where everything is, was running the way it was supposed to. In fact, uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me, we're going to be going through several scriptures today. We're going to do a little history of peace here. And so so uh, get your thumbs stretched out and ready as we look at some different verses. But the second chapter of the first book of the Bible is Genesis 2. And look at what we read in the Garden of Eden. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you get this image of the Garden of Eden in your mind, it was perfect, right? I mean, things were going well. In fact, the word Eden itself is just the Hebrew word for delight. God created mankind, and he put him in the Garden of Delight. And if you're like me, this is the light, right here, right? Where things are working, things are, 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 are working the way that they're supposed to, fitting the design, there's a sense of meaning and purpose, and, and God created the world with delight. And later we're told that Adam and Eve in the evenings would walk and talk with God. There's no hindrance, there's no sin, there's no shame, and they could just talk with God and he could talk with them. How many of you would like to spend a day in Eden? That'd be awesome. What a, what a thought. There's no sin. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no deceit. There's no jealousy. There's no violence. Even the animals get along with each other, and they get along with Adam and Eve. What a beautiful picture of shalom that we see in Scripture. There are no diseases. In fact, they even had access to the tree of life, meaning that they had the ability to be immortal. No death. Wouldn't you love to live in a world like that? I mean, that's something we're celebrating, right? And I look at the world around me and say, what, what, what are we necessarily celebrating? But this is what I would like. I would love to celebrate that. Wouldn't you? Anyone with me today? That's what I would love to celebrate. Imagine there was no such thing as death in the Garden of Eden. But as you know, that all changed and very quickly. Look at the command that was found in the next few verses in, in Genesis Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This is what we read. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Die being the capstone of the consequences of the exact opposite of shalom. Right? Where death is not the nature of things. That's not the way God created it. That's not what his original intention was for us. But we both, uh, we, we, know, we know the story that both Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Look at chapter 3, verses 1. We see this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And we had just read that. 
That's true. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Immediately, shalom was gone. Peace vanished because of sin. The natural, harmonious nature of things, the way everything was working together, was disrupted. And, and why is that? Because God was at the top right where he deserves to be and we were submissive to him. And the moment that we disobeyed God, all of that changed. The moment that sin entered into the world, everything changed. Remember what Romans 5 tells us? For as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men because all have sinned. It was totally disrupted. And there were consequences for that. When you, when you think of what we had, we, we had this environment, we had this, this Garden of Eden of Shalom, where, where God is the blesser, and we're the recipients of that blessing. And, and all we needed to do is receive God's provision, and yet somehow we start thinking we know better. This is what happens, and there's a consequence to that. Skip ahead to verse 14 of chapter 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. First of all, does that sound like shalom to you? We're hearing new words. We're hearing words that, that you would never hear in a state of shalom. Look at verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. By the way, this becomes the first prophecy mentioning that somehow the seed of a woman is going to be the conqueror. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, con and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then he said, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Wow. Sin comes into this perfect state of shalom, and it disrupts it all. And you find there's so many words here that are the exact opposite of shalom, the exact opposite of peace, and, and all because of sin. In fact, when you think about it, and you think of what we had versus what we have now, they're very different. In fact, the word I would use instead of peace, I would use the word chaos. That we, before we had peace, and now we have chaos. It's the opposite of peace. When things are out of order and, 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 and things have, have gone completely awry. Think of some of the words we see in the description of peace, we find where there was once blessing, now there are curses. In Genesis 3, we find curses. In Genesis 1 and 2, we find unity, unity of design, unity, and, and here we have enmity. 
the opposite of unity. You know, word comes from, from enmity that we use in English quite a bit. Enemy comes from that root. Exact opposite of unity. We, we had joy in Genesis 1 and 2. And now there's sorrow. We had delight. The, the garden was called the Garden of Delights, and now there's going to be pain. There was a garden that was beautiful, and now there's going to be thistles and weeds. And, and probably the most important thing we've seen there, where there was once immortality and access to the tree of life. Now, he says, from dust you were made, and from dust, or to dust you will return. He's saying you're going to die. Your, your state of immortality is gone. And that's the world that we've been living in from that point on. You see, when mankind decides to usurp the authority of God and take the place of his own and to increase his own blessing through his own choices, he ruins everything and he turns shalom into chaos. It's kind of like taking this, and boy, for those who know me, I hate to even do this because it means I'll probably have to buy one. But we look at that and say, you know, we can improve on this. We can improve on it, and so we start moving it. Was that painful for anyone else? <laughs> right, so you just, now you look at this, and you look at it, and it's totally disorganized, right? It's, it's totally disorganized, it's, it's, it's ugly, and, and yet there's about three or four people in here who said that they know how to, uh, uh, to fix that. Unfortunately, I am not one of them. But mankind, take something perfect and when we get our hands on it we turn it into something twisted we turn it into something bad and we and we mess it up and that's exactly what happened with adam and eve and this is what we see now we see chaos is the king and chaos has been ruling because mankind keeps trying to usurp god's place in his creation if we look at history we, we find that's exactly what happens if we continue just a couple of uh chapters into the, into the very next book of exodus in exodus chapter 32 so we have Exodus chapter 32. This, we have the story of the golden calf. Just to give a little background, God had promised to the Israelites, he had just rescued them from Egypt, and he promised them uh, 10 commandments. And he said, if you will listen to these 10 commandments, I will provide you with all sorts of blessings. Basically what he's saying is, I will restore some measure of shalom to your community if you're willing to follow these 10 commandments. And they stood before the Lord, and, and in one accord they said, yes, that's what we want to do. So they sent Moses, and Moses goes up into the mountain of God where he's going to receive the, the tablets written, and, and God was going to give him an explanation of every one of those Ten Commandments, and that if they would just follow these, they would experience that shalom. And that's when we come to Exodus 32, verse 1. We read this. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, that the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Immediately, that fast, Moses hasn't even returned with the written copies of the Ten Commandments. And they said, We're, we want to worship something. Let's make our own gods in place of the God who delivered us from Egypt. Again, any resemblance of shalom is completely destroyed by the human persistence in trying to leave God, not only out of the equation, but out of his role as the top of creation. And we start trying to do things our own way, and we mess up shalom, and we create chaos. Look at verse 9 and 10 of the same chapter. And the Lord said to Moses, 
I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. By the way, outside of the context of God using this to describe Israel, um, th- this term is mostly used in reference to donkeys. If you ever tried to get a donkey to move, they're stiff-necked, right? As a pastor, I, I had the opportunity to do a, a donkey basketball game. And they gave me a donkey that was very stiff-necked, right? And that's the image that God has of his people. He says, they're stiff-necked. I keep trying to pull them in the right direction, and they keep pulling in the wrong direction. Verse 10, now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. One thing that's not as easy to see in English, but it's pretty obvious in in Hebrew, is the word you there is plural. I mean, I'm sorry, the the word you there is not plural. The the word you there is singular. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to consume the people, and I'm going to start over with you, Moses, singular, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. He, God was so fed up and so angry that he said, I'm going to start over. And then you know the story. You may know the story. Moses talks with God and, and God decides that he's going to create a way for them to come back to him. And that's when the, the, temp, or the tabernacle is created, a, a system for dealing with their sins so that they could come, come to a holy God. In fact, later in the same conversation with Moses, uh, we read this, but, but God said to him, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Do you see the separation between God and man caused by sin? Compare that to Genesis 1 and 2. When Adam and Eve are walking and talking with God. <laughs> and now God says, if you read and see my face, you die. Shalom versus chaos. And that's where we find ourselves. Sin separates us from God. And shalom turns into chaos. Let's go a little further in the story. Uh, um, when we, when we go, go just a little bit further in the story, we see that, that uh, God, just, God builds a nation of Israel, and, and there's this era that we call, I call it the search for a king. The search for a king. Eventually, you see, the Israelites uh, received the law, and they obeyed it, and they conquered the promised land. This is all found in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, we get this, a sense that there is, a, a, there is some, some possibility of shalom in the world. And they don't have to fight their enemies, and God's fighting for them. And, and, and we see this sense of shalom a little bit. And then we come to the book of Judges. And multiple times in the book of Judges, we find this, this, this same verse multiple times. And it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so as Joshua is a high point of Israel's history, Judges is definitely a low point. Things are not going well. In fact, if, if you were to ask me what's one book that describes chaos, I would say it's the book of Judges. And the violence and the, and the deceit and, the, and just the, the downright sinfulness of man. And the problem was everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes when actually they had a law. They had the Ten Commandments. They had the Old Testament. Uh, uh, they had the law. They, they had enough. God would have been their king. But you know what? Instead of seeing the problem as being the second half of that verse, they went to the first half of the verse. And they said, our problem is that we need a king, a human king. And that's, that's what they felt they needed. So that's when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8 in verses 4 and 5. We read this. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you're old. My kids tell me that all the time. 
Your old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the nations. Now remember, they had a king, but the king was God. They had a king if they would just stop rejecting him. Look at verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but what? They have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. See, I was a king. They're rejecting me as king. So Samuel goes back to the people for 11 verses, from, from verse 8 to 18. He's, he's talking to them, and he's warning them of the high cost of a human king. And he talks about taxes, right? And he talks about an army, and he talks about all of the costs that's going to come. If you want a human government like everybody else, instead of just letting God rule, then, then we come to verse 19. So nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. You see the problem here? Here's the tension. You have man and God and there's a separation between us now because of this chaos. And, and so man is saying, we, we want a human king. We want someone that we can understand who has been tempted and tried as we have. We want someone that, that we can relate to. That's the kind of king that we need. And, and on the other hand, you've got God saying, no, what you actually need, you need me to be the king. If you'd let me be the king, everything uh, would, be, would go well. But they were bound and determined to have a king. And how well did that turn out? I mean, the, God gave them a king just like they wanted. He gave them a king named Saul, who was head and shoulders above the rest. He's everything they wanted in a king. It did not go well for Israel. And so the thought was, well, maybe we need a king who's close to God, someone who, who loves God, and that would be the answer. And so the next king was David, right? And David was a man after God's own heart. How did that go? I mean, David did a lot of great things, but in the end, he wasn't perfect. And he made mistakes, and it cost the lives of many. And then the next king just kind of shows the epitome of mankind. Solomon had a divided heart, and he ended up dividing the kingdom. He loved God at points in his life. He just loved women too. And riches. Right? He had a, a thousand women. His heart was torn. That's not the kind of a king that we need. The bottom line was chaos. In fact, it divided the kingdom into two. There was a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel. Every king from, from, from their entire kingdom, every king was evil. And it came to the point where God said, I'm done. He let the Assyrians come in, take them out. The, the great Assyrian captivity. He said, well, what about Judah, the southern king, right? There were some good kings, a few good kings. It delayed the process a little bit. In the end, the Babylonians were permitted by God to come in, take them over. That's not what Shalom is supposed to look like, right? But our sin takes Shalom and turns it into chaos. We see it all through history. If I'd like to go one more, let's look at the, the time of, of the prophets, the era of the prophets. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we find this prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. These are what we call messianic prophecies. It Mes means that 
They're pro pro uh, prophesying about the Messiah or the Christ. It means the one who is anointed to be the king. So what's the solution to this problem here? And, and here's the answer. And he says there's going to be a virgin that's going to conceive. It's going to bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. There's some interesting things in it. Think about that. First of all, a virgin shall conceive. That is not natural. Right? That is, that is not the natural order of things. That is not how things work. Right? And, and uh, a virgin shall conceive. This is, this is supernatural. He also says that his name will be called Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel is a, is a Hebrew word. El means God, right? Imanu means with us. The idea is that this person is going to be God with us. I mean, this is something that we really haven't experienced since Genesis 3. Having God right here with us, and all of a sudden, he's saying, there's going to be a son, which makes him human, by the way, and he's going to be God with us, which makes him divine, which makes him God, like we sang in the song, 100% God and 100% man. Remember the problem? Man says, we want a human king. And God says, no, but you need me to be your king. And Isaiah says, you know what the solution is going to be? There's going to be a king who is both 100% human and 100% God. Isn't that an act of love by God to reach down to us so that he could reign and bring shalom into our lives? That's a God of love right there who's willing to do just that. That's the solution. A king would be 100% human and 100% God. You might say, Pastor Dave, that all sounds good, but it would take a miracle, right? Because virgins don't conceive. It's not the way it works. Let's go forward in our timeline to the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. So if we could turn to Matthew chapter 1, first book of the New Testament. Look at the very first verse of the New Testament. It starts this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of God, or son of David, the son of Abraham. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. First of all, the word Christ, that's the Messiah. It means this is the one that Isaiah was talking about. And all of those prophets that are talking about the Messiah, this is who they're talking about. It goes on to say he's the son of David. By the way, that makes him a couple of things. One, it makes him human, right? Because he's the son of David. But it also makes him the rightful heir to the throne. And we see that right there. And then look at verse 18 in the same chapter. And it starts to tell the story. And this is how the story begins. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. A couple words. I mean, we hear this, we hear this so many times, especially around Christmas. We forget to think about it. But the key, some key words there. One, before they came together. What does that mean? That means a virgin conceived. Does that sound familiar? Does that take us back to Isaiah? A virgin conceived, just as it was promised. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. In other words, he thought the same thing that you would have thought or that I would have thought, right? And, and so he's thinking, okay, I'm done with this. I'm good. She must have been unfaithful. And so he's ready to put her away secretly. Verse, verse 20 but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to, uh, to, to, take to you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So we saw this baby is going to be 100% human, right? But we also see right here that that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This baby is also going to be 100% what? God. 
100% man, 100% God. Love that. And then look at verse 21. I love this verse. And she shall bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. I mean, you look at that, and, and first of all, the word Jesus means Savior, the one who saves. So you will have a son, and his name will be Jesus. By the way, that means he's human, because he's the son. But he will also be the Savior of their of sins. Okay, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Now, a lot of times, I think we kind of feel like we're enjoying our sins for the moment. We don't want someone to save us from our sins. But if we understood it from God's perspective and hopefully have a little glimpse of God's perspective today of history, do you realize that it's sin that actually put us in a state of chaos to begin with? Jesus came to save us from the very thing that disrupts all of shalom, disrupts all of peace. And that's why Jesus came into the world. Look at verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Jesus came, God came. And God was with us. God was amongst us. This was the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7. God is with us. The only way to restore shalom into this chaotic world is to have God at the top as our king. Amen? It's the only way. Jesus is the son of David, making him the rightful human king. But he is also Emmanuel, making him the only divine king. And once and for all, God has offered us shalom. Jesus came not only to save us from our sins, but Jesus came to offer us peace, shalom in our hearts. And we don't always like it because we, we look at the world and we say, but the world is chaotic. And I'm here to tell you, if you'll stick with me during the book of Revelation, you'll see that God is in the process of restoring shalom to the world too, right? But there's a sense in which when Jesus came and peace came, he's offering shalom into the, into the lives of individuals. And he takes a look at this mess and he says, you know, you want, here's the way you do things, but, but let me t- make a little change. And he, he makes a change and, 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 and then puts it down and, okay, so we've made, we've made a change. And, and maybe it's something as simple as, as my natural response is if, if someone harms me, I smack them back. But what did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Now, I've tried to find ways to reinterpret that verse. Anyone else? Right? I always, maybe turn the other's cheek. But then when I do that, guess what? I just make it more and more messed up. And so Jesus comes in and he says, well, let me do this. Let me change this. Let me change that. Let me change this. Let me change this. And then the next thing you know, eventually, you start finding out that he's restoring shalom into your life. Wow. That's not a great trick, I know. But it, the point is that God restores shalom into our lives little by little because it's, it's, we're, it's in our hearts. It's there. It's, he offers that peace to us in our own hearts. And what is he offering us? He's offering us several things. He's offering us the forgiveness of sins. Think about that. The forgiveness of sins. The elimination of guilt. The elimination of guilt. A restored relationship with God. You know, right now we may not be able to walk in the, in the Garden of Eden with God. 
But did you know that you can talk with God and you can, you can walk with Him and you can sit with Him and you can pray to Him and He can talk to you through His Word and restoring some sense of shalom into our own lives? We also receive guidance to create shalom. Where? In our homes, in our workplaces, in our churches, in our marriages, in our families. And, and so God gives us things just like the Ten Commandments, and he gives these things that if we would actually start putting them into practice, imagine the shalom. Just think about it. If our entire society started living by the Ten Commandments, imagine that. Be content with your own things. Don't covet other people's things. Or would that change tax laws, right? You know, what if, if everyone said, be content with your own wife. Don't, don't, don't want something that's... A, just be content with what I've given you. Be honest. Don't bear false witness. Love your brother. Don't, don't hate him. Don't, don't kill. Don't steal something. Don't, don't try to take something. So imagine if we live by that. Imagine the shalom that we would experience. And, and God has given us many of those things in life that we, so we can start saying, how can I start adding shalom back to my own life and, and have that peace into my own life. By the way, I, I think it's worth saying here, many times I think what we think is peace isn't peace at all. When we think of what I want in peace, we start listing things that actually fit in a different category. What do we want? When, when you think of a peaceful image, you probably think of laying on a beach somewhere, right? Where, with no jobs to get done, beautiful sky, right? Maybe someone to bring you, you know, some nice cold beverage or something like that and, and you get this beautiful view that's peace? No, that's control right? that's control control is when you just want things to be the way that you want them to be peace that we're talking about here is, 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 is completely different and, and peace in this context you can have that even when things are going very poorly in your life because we know we're in a process and we know where the end is and we know where God's taking us to a state of shalom Pastor Tim mentioned of a lady who lost a third close member of her family this week. That's not the way the world is supposed to be, right? We have others in, in, in this very room heard bad news about cancer in their life this week. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the design. But because we know that God's ultimate design is shalom, and that at one day, if we're right with God, one day we will be in heaven with perfect shalom. No matter what happens here on earth, we'll be in that state. Then guess what? Then we can experience peace right now. And we can have peace in our lives because we know how it ends. We know how the story goes. We have a sense of peace. Jesus is peace on earth. He, bring, he brought us peace on earth. Let's look at some of the other things. The, we have the ability to approach the throne of God. Very different from what God told Moses. If you even look at me, you die. And yet we can boldly approach the throne of God. It's peace. Restored relationship with God. We have unity instead of enmity. We have joy instead of sorrow. We have blessing instead of curses. And and the capstone of it all, we have eternal life instead of death. That changes everything, doesn't it? So when you're celebrating, when, 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 when you're singing songs about peace on earth, don't, don't sing about it with the skepticism of seeing the world around you. In fact, we know that there's chaos in the world around us, right? But allow God to bring shalom and peace into your life 
And I'll tell you what, too, when you have shalom in your life, in the midst of a chaotic world, that's going to show up in the world around us. And people are going to say, how is it that you live the way you do? I, I don't understand it. How is it that you can be joyful? How is it that you can treat your enemies kindly when we, are, we learn on TV that you always, you always have to attack your enemy, right? How is it that you live in peace? And that's where instead of taking the credit and saying, well, I'm just a good person. No, we point to the creator who loved us so much that in spite of our own chaos making, he created a way back to him by sending his son to come here to be that perfect king for us. One day he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. We'll get to that in the book of Revelation. But first, are you willing to establish him as a king in your heart and in your life? That's the question that I have today for you. I mean, who in their right mind would not celebrate this good news? Peace, shalom on the earth. You know, there might be some here today, and you don't need me to tell you that you're a sinner. I mean, there's enough chaos in your life. And if you're honest, you know that maybe some of it is even caused by you. And you may, you may come today and, and you know that you need a Savior. I've got great news for you. Jesus has come and he wants to offer you peace. Right now, today. And maybe there's some of you, I don't know your situation, maybe, maybe you've come here and you've never realized how your actions have offended God. You just figured, hey, this is the life that I have. And so I can live it the way I want to live it. No, this is the life that you've been given, and you are responsible to your creator to live it the way that he has designed. And so you have gone outside of his design, and you have messed this up. You've messed up your life so much, and you need to come back to the Lord and say, all right, Lord, have your way. Fix me, bring shalom back into my life. If you are willing to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, it changes everything. It will change your eternal destiny. It will restore your immortality. Not sure you may die in this, this body, but this is not the end. Thank God, right? This isn't it. If you just surrender yourself to God. In just a moment, I'm going to give an opportunity to respond. We're going to sing a song. We're going to uh, sing a song of invitation. And if, that, if you're in either of those situations, if you would like to know for sure that you've accepted that gift of eternal life. And if you would like to invite Jesus to be the king in your heart, I'm going to invite you to come forward. We have some men and women that will show you from God's word how you can walk out of here today and know for sure that you will have eternal life. And you would have a whole congregation of people celebrating with you. Amen? Because there would be nothing greater for us to see or hear that someone in here today is beginning that path to shalom by accepting the right king as their Lord and Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for the peace that you're willing to give to us. And I pray right now, Lord, that there would be nothing that would keep, keep someone in here who is at that point where they need to make that decision. I pray that you would not let any distractions keep them in their seats today. I pray that they would come forward and do business with you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.